great song because how many you know Jesus is worthy? Amen. Amen. Well, hey, do me a favor. Open up your Bibles, turn on a Bible, whichever you prefer, but get to the book of James chapter 3. Working through the book of James. And now we are starting in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 today. How many of you, uh, I'm going to say a, a, a saying, I'm going to say the first half, and then I want you guys to finish it for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Words can never hurt me. <laughs> words can never hurt me. How many of you know that sounds good in theory? But in reality, um, that, throws, that just goes out the window, doesn't it? Because um, how many of you know um, words have the power to hurt? Okay. Um, in fact, you know, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 even says that the, the tongue, meaning words, has the power of life and death. Now, I'm sure that when Solomon wrote that, he wasn't saying that we could speak to someone and kill them, all right? The idea of power of life and death is really what it can do to a person. You know, I, I just wrote some things down how words can either build up or tear someone down. They can either help or hurt, heal or wound, encourage or discourage. That's words, okay? Well, that's where we're going to be looking at in James uh, chapter 3 today. The tongue, our words. You know, in the Bible, here's the thing. Um, James chapter 3 and Proverbs 18.21 is not the only place that the Bible talks about words. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about our words, our tongue. In fact, in Proverbs chapter, I mean, in the book of Proverbs alone, over 70 verses refer to our words. That's just in the book of Proverbs, all right? The, God has a lot to say to you and I as believers in Christ, as Christians, about the importance of our words and the things that we say. And this is what James is drilling down on in chapter 3. And in fact, if you recall, as we have studied been studying this, this is not the first time that James has even approached the subject of words. He, he, he talks about it in, in chapter 1 when he says, hey, you know what? Everybody needs to be slow to speak, quick to listen. And then he even says it again at the end of chapter 1 where he's like, you know what? If you say you're religious, and I'm going to have this verse again in my message. He says, if you, if you say you're religious, but you can't keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion's worthless. And so now he's drilling down even in a greater capacity about this thing called the tongue. He's really just hammering home about the importance of our words because apparently um, these Christians in James's time had an issue with speaking. How many of you know uh, same story, different day? Because Christians today are in the same boat. Um, there are how. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us still have an issue with your tongue, with your words? I remember when I said this, at, when we were going through at the very beginning of James, when I, in my intro, I said, hey, there's some things, and this is one thing about the book, about this message today, and I said this in the very first message, it's going to be hard, okay? And I remember when I said this, and I, I said, hey, you know, James, it's going to be hard, and I said this in the very first message and I said, James is going to talk about your words. And I remember everybody went, oh, like, can we just skip that part and not preach that? Okay. And I even said this to, to Ron Robinson as he and I were praying this morning. I said, you know, we can read chapter three, 
the first 12 verses and just buzz right through it and get through it. But it's a whole lot different when you're breaking it apart. So just FYI, today's message is hard. It's been hard on me all week. Second thing about this message is this. In these 12 verses, James addresses the issue about the tongue, about our words in a negative light. There's really nothing positive about it. It's all negative because he wants Christians to understand the power of the tongue, the, 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 the damage it can bring. And so that's why I even entitled the message today, A Reckless Tongue, and what a reckless tongue can do. And so we're going to look at seven things about a reckless tongue today. And here's the first one. So I encourage you uh, to take notes on the outline. Um, in a, if you have a notebook, uh, this, is, this is a very important message that we all need to apply. So here's the first thing James says about a reckless tongue. And it's this, a reckless tongue negatively affects the belief and behavior of those who hear. A reckless tongue or reckless words can have a negative effect on the belief and behavior of people. And that's where he says there in James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, not many of you should become teachers. Not become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, what a strange way to introduce this, this topic of the tongue. You know, I would think he would just jump right into saying, hey, Christians, believers in Christ, Get your act together with the tongue. But he doesn't. He starts with this idea of teaching, okay? And um, so we got to ask, well, why would he begin with this saying, don't become a teacher? You know, think twice about this. Okay, he's not, he's not telling you not to be a teacher, but he's telling you to think long and hard about it. Because we got to go back to when I taught on, in James chapter 1 when he said everybody needs to be quick to listen and slow to speak. As, as I've studied this and as I come to understand that historians say that in, in James's time, in the early church, church was a little bit different than what you and I would know, okay? Um, even Because if you remember in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about that, that in God's house, and, and, and when you come together for a worship service, there needs to be order in it, okay? Well, here's what would take place in a, in a worship service. There would be someone communicating God's word, and then let's just say hope Felt like, you know what? I disagree. So Hope decides to start teaching. And, and, and then Dusty decides, oh, I'm going to teach. And all of a sudden, you just start having different people say, I think I know how to teach these people. And so you would have different people standing up saying, well, according to the book of Isaiah, and they would start to teach. Well, what James is saying here, when he says everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, he's like, not everybody should be standing up and teaching. Because what was happening was you had people who were teaching with wrong motives, okay? They weren't teaching because they were like, you know what? I think I got a really good word here that's going to benefit somebody. I think I can build somebody up with what I have to say. Some people really took the idea of the, the role of pastor, because even in, in the early church, they had pastors and elders, and the pastor was still the primary communicator. And so you had people who were like, well, I want that role. I want to be the primary communicator because I think I, I'm pretty good. I think I'm better than him. And so you had people with a motive of like, I want to show people how much I know. 
How many of you know there are still people like that today? People who teach a Sunday school class or teach a small group or, or preach. They, they want to just they want to communicate in a way that where people are like in awe of what they're saying. Wrong motives. And so James is like, listen, listen, listen. Do not be so fired up about teaching if you're not going to do it right. Okay? You see, this is why Paul even tells Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 5. He says, Timothy, make sure you are rightly dividing or rightly handling the word of truth. Okay? Because, because we learned that the Bible is, is a double-edged sword. It's living and active. And so whoever is preaching, whoever is teaching, has to divide it right. Correctly handle it because you can't wield the word of God in a way. If it's a double-edged sword, how many of you know you can wound people with it? You can teach wrong. And so, so if I am reckless in my teaching, guess what I can do to you spiritually? Get you off course. Okay? And so James is saying, listen, listen, I'm not telling you not to teach. He's not saying don't be a Sunday school teacher. He's not saying don't be a small group leader. He's not saying don't desire to be a pastor. He's not saying don't desire not to communicate the word of God. He's just simply saying make sure you're doing it correctly. Make sure your, your motive is right. Make sure you, your desire. Because how many of you know there's really, a, here's the main purpose of teaching the word of God. To change the mind, convict the heart, challenge the will. Teaching the word of God is to transform the entire person. It's not just to educate the mind. It is to educate the mind, convict your heart, and then challenge your will to do something with what you just heard. Today's message is all about that. And it's all about getting us to look at what's coming out of my mouth to inform my head. Wow, my mouth's not very good. Then convict the heart. I should change it. And then challenge the will of going, hey, tomorrow when I'm at work, when I usually want to throw an F-bomb, I'm going to shut my mouth. And I'm not going to do that. You see, that's what teaching the word of God is. And James is like, listen, if you want to teach, awesome. But understand the weight that you have, the responsibility you have as a Sunday school teacher. Whether it's to children, to teens, or adults, you have a weight, a responsibility about communicating the word of God correctly, accurately, doing it in a way that you're not reckless with what you're saying and causing people to be like confused and, and being taught wrong. But he tells us why we need to take this seriously. He says, for you know that we, notice the pronoun we. Uh, James puts himself in the same boat here because he's teaching right now, okay? And he says, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He's talking about those of you, whether you are teaching a child, a teenager, or an adult, whether you are a Sunday school teacher, small group leader, pastor, however, whatever way you're teaching, guess what? You are going to be held accountable, all right? He says, you who teach, you're going to be judged with greater strictness. You will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And we who teach, Jesus is going to want to know. 
No, he's not going to want to know. He's going to reveal whether you talk correctly and well or you talk poorly and you cause people to be shipwrecked in their faith. I'm telling you, that is happening in churches. There are pastors who do not exegete passages of Scripture. There are pastors who just give good stories and anecdotes, and they paraphrase the Scripture, and they just talk about the Bible. They do not preach it. There are Sunday school teachers who are teaching things that are causing people to go sideways. We who teach, and I'm telling you, this scares me. We will stand before Jesus and give an account. And we will be judged with greater strictness. Why? Because Jesus, God has given us his very word. And he doesn't want his word misunderstood and misstrewn. He's like, you better make sure you're dividing this thing right and teaching it right. And that's why when I'm in my office on Sunday morning and even through the week, I'm like, God, as Paul, I, I realize Paul's like, I realize that my, my, I am, I, the only thing that makes me a competent, um, a competent minister of this gospel is God. And I'm every week, God, make me a competent minister of the gospel. Make me a competent minister of this word, God. Help me to rightly divide this thing because I know the weight that is on my shoulders every Sunday I step up here. I don't know who's listening. And I want to make sure I'm rightly dividing this thing to the best of my ability because I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to teach in a way that affects your belief and behavior. I want to rightly divide this thing. And I want to make sure my tongue is not reckless. Here's the second thing. A reckless tongue reveals the true condition of my heart. A reckless tongue will reveal the true condition of your heart. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. Uh, I want to pause there. The New Revised Standard Version says we all make many mistakes. Um, can I get an amen on that? I am really glad that, that James writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, we all stumble in many ways. That word stumble means to err or to sin. And here's the other thing. That word stumble is actually written in the Greek, in a Greek voice, which means it's ongoing. It never stops, okay? You and I, as long as we're on this side of heaven, wrapped in flesh and have a sin nature, guess what's going to happen? You're going to stumble. You're going to err. You are going to sin, all right? But here's where the enemy is good. The enemy wants to tell you and I, when we do sin, how horrible you are. You know, if you were truly a a great woman of God, a great man of God, um, you wouldn't have done that. And you know, God is so done with you. God is so over you. God cannot love someone like you. You keep doing the same thing. You keep just like stumbling day after day. There's no way God cares for you. Don't raise your hand, but you ever, you battle with that? You sin, and and then you just feel the weight of the guilt, the shame, and, and the enemy just barrages you. Listen, James is telling you, you are going to stumble in many ways. But now, does that give you and I a license? Well, if I'm going to stumble, I'm going to stumble really well. How many of you know that's not a license to sin? 
Here's what it is. It's, it's, it's freedom of knowing I, I'm not going to be perfect. And when I do stumble, here's what 1 John tells us. 1 John chapter 1 tells us this, that when we do stumble, when we do sin, we have a mediator, an advocate for us who goes before the Father. When we do sin, Jesus goes before the Father on our behalf. And 1 John 1.9 tells us this, that when we do sin, if we just confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. You see, that's the promise. There's two promises. James makes the promise, you're going to stumble. John makes the promise, God will forgive you. Just confess it. Just deal with it. Get right. Say, God, I, don't, I messed up. I don't want to be here. Forgive me. And we know the truth that God's word gives us that God does forgive. But James doesn't stop there. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So James is like, listen, listen, listen. Um, if, if, if you can contain this thing, what comes out of here? You're perfect. Now, here's the thing. That word perfect, and I've taught this before. Tell me somebody, can, tell, can you tell me? What does the word perfect really mean? Mature. It doesn't mean I never say anything wrong. It means I'm mature. I'm growing up. And James is like, listen, if you're mature enough to control this thing, man, you can bridle your entire body. Because he's just like, the hardest thing to control is your mouth. He's like, everything else is just like, it's just like side dishes. You should be able to control everything then. So what, what he's saying is, he goes, what comes out of your mouth is going to reveal your maturity. He goes, if, if you can contain the, the tongue, you can control your words, you're going to know what's in your heart. You see, Jesus tells us in a few different places. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus says, The mouth speaks whatever the heart is full of. In Luke 6, 45, Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, here's the thing that you and I need to understand in our, in our technological world. The heart isn't just revealed by what we say. It's also revealed by what we write. Okay? Emails, Facebook posts, whatever it is, it is still revealing the heart. Okay? So James is saying, your words are going to reveal the heart. It will reveal your maturity. Okay? And, and, and here's the thing, and this is, again, we got to understand, and, and I taught this over the past couple weeks in chapter 2, that when you come to know Christ as your Savior, remember James taught in chapter 2, he says, if you truly have faith in Christ, it's going to change your works. It'll change what you do. Can I tell you something? If you truly have faith in Christ, not only does it change your works, guess what's going to change? Your words. And here's why. Because when you and I come to know Christ as Savior, we know that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. 
The Holy Spirit lives in us. So the Holy Spirit, when he comes to dwell within us, he isn't kicking back in his Chase Lounge and he's got his Pepsi and his Cheetos going, well, your job now. No, the Holy Spirit is going to work in us. He changes us. He moves us from glory to glory. He changes and transforms us more into the image of Christ. So here's the thing. If my heart is controlled by the Holy Spirit, being changed by the Holy Spirit, it's going to produce something different coming out of my mouth. Okay? So the Holy Spirit, you see, this is why Paul even writes in Ephesians, he says, let nothing unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only that that is beneficial to those who hear that can build others up. And that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He wants to change our heart so that what's coming out of my mouth shows my maturity. As the Holy Spirit changes me and grows me more like the, the image of Christ, that means I'm maturing and I'm growing up in my faith. So if my heart is being transformed, my heart is changing, then words of encouragement will be coming out of my mouth. Words that build others up will be coming out of my mouth. Words of faith and not doubt. Words, words that are, are helping someone versus tearing them down. Words that are pure and holy versus words that are unclean and perverse. You see, um, if the Holy Spirit is working in me, this thing is going to, it's going to, it's going to recognize it. And you're going to recognize it. Hey, my mouth has changed. Now, again, let's go back to what James said. We're all going to stumble in many ways, right? Anybody going to have a perfect mouth? Anybody, please raise your hand if you have a perfect mouth. I know I don't. You know, and, 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 and in your anger, you say something, you're like, Ugh. we all do, okay? This thing is not going to be perfect. But the idea is, in my maturity, if I'm growing up in Christ, if I say something in anger, I yell at my kids, and my, I yell at my spouse, I, I cuss at work, whatever it may be. I say something, and if I'm mature enough, guess what happens? I feel the conviction of that. I feel like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. And here's what happens. I recognize what came out of my mouth shouldn't have come out, and I am quick to confess it. If I wound someone, say something, say something harsh, say something in a way I shouldn't have, I, but I wound someone, I go to them and I apologize. I, I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. Please forgive me. But I'm also going before the Father. God, please forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I can just, I, I just, it just reveals, I still, I still have work in my heart to do, God. Do that work in me. And see, my desire changes. My desire is to speak right. But here's the thing. If that desire is not there, if I can cuss like a sailor, if I can talk bad to people, if I can talk about people in a bad way, I can tear somebody apart with my words, and it doesn't affect me, there's no change there, and it's a constant, like, like if, if my words are just all the time negative, bitter, angry, just, just perverse and, and, you know, destructive, if that's my, the lifestyle of my mouth, there's something wrong in the heart, okay? It's kind of like this. The tongue is, 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 even though James is always, he's referring to the tongue, it's, it's just neither here nor there, okay? The tongue is just a delivery system. It's kind of like a UPS guy. 
you, you order a lot of Amazon products and the UPS guy drops it off. But every time you open up your Amazon package, it's like it's always a mess. They got it wrong again. Is it the UPS driver's problem or is it Amazon's problem? It's Amazon's problem. There's something wrong with Amazon. UPS driver, he's just a delivery guy. I just drop it off, man. The tongue is the delivery system revealing the real issue, which is the heart. It's the factory, okay? Amazon's in here, and the package is always getting messed up. So, so if everything coming out of my mouth is, is truly wrong, it's showing one of three things. One, that I am truly immature. Or two, I truly have a sick heart. Or three, I am truly an unbeliever because my heart's not changing. Something's wrong with it. The mouth is always the barometer of the heart. And all you have to do is listen to yourself or let someone else tell you, here's what I hear coming out of your mouth all the time. And if it's not building others up, if it's not creating life, if it's not helping, if it's, if it's perverse, if it's wrong, something's wrong with the heart. It reveals my maturity. Here's the third thing. A reckless tongue directs my life. A reckless tongue directs my life. Look at verse 3. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Anybody like to ride horses? All right. You, you put that little bit in the mouth, and all you got to do is pull on the rein. Pull the right, pull it left, and that horse will go wherever you want. It's, that horse is twice the size as us, three times, four times some. The horse is bigger than us, but yet we can control it by a little bit in the mouth. He goes on and he says, look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Verse 5, he says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The boasting of great things is in my next point. But the tongue is a small member. He's just giving practical illustrations. A small bit can change, a lo- can change the direction of a large horse. A small rudder can change the direction of a large ship. Guess what? A small member in your mouth can change the direction of your life. And here's what I mean by that. People know you by how you talk. They know who you are as a person. They know what you're all about by what you say. Okay? Just in your mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a few things and see if there's anybody that pops into your head. Someone who is an encourager. Every time you see them, they just have, they have a kind word to say about you. They, they encourage you. They, they build you up. They just, they just know what to say. They, they just say the right things. Anybody pop into your head? As soon as I thought, I thought of one person that, that just, bam, encourager all the time. What about someone who's just always negative? You talk to them, it could be the most beautiful sunny day, but yet they can find something wrong with it. They're always negative. They're always complaining. Everything in life, I mean, they are chicken little 10 times over. The sky's just not falling. It is, it's exploding, all right? Who popped in your head? Who's the person in that, that, that they, they, they gossip about people? They talk about people. They, 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 they put down people. Anybody pop into your head? 
You see, the reality is my words, because of a little member in my mouth, direct my life. People know who I am. People know what I'm about. And, and if I am a person who is positive and uplifting and an encouragement and I'm trying to build others up, people know that. But if I'm someone who, you know, I'm at work and I'm, I, I, I cuss all the time, I, I tell bad jokes, I tell, you know, I, I say things that, that should not be said. And, and, and how many, I mean, I've, when, I, when I worked at the prison a long, long time ago and, and I would talk to people and then I would find out they were Christians, I'd be like, what? Dude, I've, 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 I've been with in, in this place talking to you for two months, and you don't sound like it. I would never, ever put them on the plate of, you believe in Jesus Christ, because their mouth had not been um, glorified yet. Their mouth had not become holy yet. Why? Because the heart had not yet become holy. Something was wrong with the heart. And so, so people will know who you are and what you're about by what you say. People will know if you're a, a believer in, or not by the evidence coming out of your mouth. You see, this is why James is like, listen, the, the mouth, the tongue is such a small member of your body, but boy, can it turn and direct your life in so many ways. Here's the fourth thing. A reckless tongue demonstrates folly. A reckless tongue demonstrates folly. Again, verse 5, he says, So the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now, the boasting that James is talking about here is not, it is not in a positive sense. It's in a negative sense. And he's not referring to someone who sees something awesome, and he goes around telling his friends. Okay, it's not like you go to a restaurant and, and the, 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 the service was awesome, the atmosphere was awesome, the food was awesome, and you just like, you can't tell what, um, you, you come to church and you're like, tell, oh, have you ever been to this restaurant? It is awesome, so good, and you're just boasting. That's not what James is doing here. Boasting of great things actually conveys this idea that someone is saying just such flamboyant things to make themselves look better. It's all about self. It's to, to glorify self. He, he's talking that it's saying things in such a way that it's outlandish. Um, saying things in such a way that actually makes you sound like a fool. It's saying things that indicates, when I read this one, it indicates a haughty spirit of a person that loves to stir up trouble for other people. So they're saying things in such a way that when they say it, they say it so boastfully, so proudly, that the people who hear it are taken aback. It, it, people hear it and go, no, nah. <laughs> no, you did not. You, I did not hear that. You, you, you did not really just say what I think you just said. Or I can't believe they posted that. I can't believe they sent that as an email to everybody. It's almost like the person who's saying things is like, this is my personal shock and awe. I just want to shock people, and, and I'm going to say it in such a way. But here's the thing. 
People who talk like this, people who, who are proud and say things that are so over the top, it actually makes them sound like a fool. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23 says, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. They just proclaim it, man. They're just from the rooftop. We're just shouting it out. And people are looking at that going, dude, you are a fool. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Who, he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 15, 2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. You notice he's just like, man, it pours out. They just open their mouth. They open their mouth so wide. He's like, they're fools. They sound foolish. And he, what James is saying, they make such boastful claims. It's not impressing anybody. People aren't walking away going, wow, that person was so wise. That person was so smart. That person knows so much. No, he's saying people will walk away going, that person is such a fool. They don't know what they're talking about. Why? Because of this. Such a small member makes boastful claims. But here's the problem. Again, it's not about this. Where is it originating? In here. It's the heart. It makes boastful claims. It makes you and demonstrates folly. Here's the sixth thing. A reckless tongue pollutes the person, hurts others, and becomes a tool for the enemy. It pollutes you, it hurts others, and it becomes a tool for the enemy. So right there at the end of verse 5, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Hey, anybody, when you have a, a fire in your backyard, you're going to have a little weenie roast. Do you ever pull out a blowtorch? Just like, <laughs> light it on fire? You know, when you watch the news and you hear, hear about a forest fire, did they ever say, yeah, Joe walked into the forest with a blowtorch and set it on fire? Or do you hear somebody threw a cigarette out a car window and it sparked it up? Because when I go out and have a wiener roast and I got this huge pile of twi- sticks, I don't use a blowtorch. I take a lighter and, and that flame is about yay big. And it starts light and it just spreads and consumes it all. <coughs> That's what James is saying here. <coughs> I got a tickle. <coughs> He's saying, comparing the tongue like a fire. In verse 6, he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. You know, it's interesting. He calls that a world of unrighteousness. He's giving a picture saying, you know what? The tongue is one of the smallest members on our body, but it creates the biggest problems. Okay? I mean, your leg is massive, but how many, how, how much, how many problems do you have like going up to someone and just kicking them? I just hurt somebody today. I kicked him upside the head. I don't know what happened. My leg just reached. No. But how many of you said, oh, man, I was at work, and I told somebody off today. I don't know where it came. It just, why? Why? Because it's a small member but creates the biggest problems. 
And James is saying this thing in our mouth is like a fire. He says the tongue is set among our members. Here it is. Here's the first one. Staining the whole body. Like I said, your, your, your mouth, the words coming out of our mouth, identify who you are. People know who you are. It stains the whole body, even to the core of your personality. If you are saying words that build up, lift up, and encourage, people know that. But if you're using words that are destructive and hurtful and painful, man, people know that. Your words, to stain, it, it means to defile. It means to pollute. You know, James, uh, Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, he says, it's not what enters the mouth that defiles a person, but proceeds out of the mouth that defiles a person. That's what stain means. It means to defile, to pollute. You become dirty and polluted by the words coming out of your mouth. But James goes on. He says, the tongue stains the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Just like a fire. A fire doesn't contain just to one place. It spreads. A forest fire, when, you know, if a campfire that gets out of control, it doesn't just stay as a campfire. Before you know it, it is spreading and burning thousands upon thousands of acres. Guess what? My words, if my tongue is reckless, not only is it affecting me and polluting me, it's affecting those around me. And if I'm not cautious enough, it's hurting people, wounding people, discouraging people. It just, it negatively affects everyone. I mean, think about it. How much do you want to spend with somebody at work who just is always telling you off? How much time do you want to spend with someone who just everything that comes out of their mouth is negative and just, I mean, they just, it's like they put a spigot in your side and they turn it on. They can just drain everything out of you. Why? Because what comes out of the mouth affects everything about the course of life. It has a way of just sucking the life out of us. But then notice what he says. He says, it, so it stains the whole body, the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Meaning set on fire by hell is actually kind of synonymous for Satan and demons because hell is going to be the eternal abode of, of Satan. That's where he's going to be forever is hell, and it's this fiery place. The word hell is actually from the, 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 the Greek word Gehenna, which was a, a, a dump that burned everything outside of, of, of Israel or Jerusalem. And, and Jesus always compared that the literal hell was like this Gehenna. And um, so, he's, so James is like, hey, uh, Satan is going to be in hell, and um, our words can become a tool for him to use. He wants to tempt us, so we use our words um, not to be beneficial, but to be what? Destructive. He wants, our, he wants to tempt us when, when somebody, when somebody you know, says something. How many, you ever get tempted? I mean, you just, you feel the rage inside, and you just want to explode on the person. You, you, you're like, if you want to talk that way to me, I'm going to talk back that. See, that's what the enemy wants you and I to do. He wants to convince us to use our tongues in a bad manner. And so the tongue becomes a tool for the enemy if we are not careful. The tongue pollutes, it hurts, and it becomes a tool. And then lastly, the seventh thing, a reckless tongue produces spiritual contradictions. It produces spiritual contradictions. Verse 7, 
He says, every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Do you notice how James, he's not, he's not coloring the tongue in a very good light, is he? He's like, man, it pollutes everything. It destroys things. It, it's poison. He's like, everything that comes out of it, it can be so destructive and hurtful. He's like, man, we can, contain, we can, we can tame all the animals in the world, but no person can, can, no one can tame this thing. It is full of deadly poison. And he goes on in verse 9, he says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who, made, who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He is drilling down on a forked tongue. A double tongue. In chapter 1, he talked about having a double mind. Now he's having, talking about having a double tongue. And he's like, listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a Christian, you can't sit there on Sunday and worship God and then on Monday sound like the devil. He's like, you can't do it. He, he's like, that's a double tongue person. And, and he's drilling down on this thing saying, listen, you, you can't call yourself a Christian and be in church on Sunday and, and, and blessing God, and then you go to work or your family, and you're hurting people. He's like, it's impossible. It can't be. One commentator says it this way. He says, when a man can sing like an angel on Sunday and then talk like a demon during the week, you can label him as, as you want, but the Bible calls such a man a hypocrite. You see, James is drilling down when he's like, can a salt pond produce fresh water or a fresh pond produce salt water? Can this produce this? He is talking about the heart. He's like, listen, a clean heart cannot and will not produce bad words. And a bad heart cannot and will not produce good words. He's like, it's inconsistent. It's spiritually inconsistent. It can't happen. And so he's like, as believers, we've got to make sure that we are purifying the heart. Because if, God, if we're not asking God to purify the heart, it's going to be revealed through the words that we say. And the reality is, loved ones, over the past 18 months, the church has failed. I'm not saying this church in particular, but Christians across this country have failed miserably in this, in this sense. By what we have said and by what we post. Christians are, are, are saying things that are so hurtful, hateful, wounding, tearing people apart. Christians are, are sitting there shouting, hey, you know what? We need to stand up. We need to get loud. We need to voice our opinion. Speak our minds. Or maybe we need to obey what James says. Tame the tongue. Maybe we need to be as Christians and do as God's word says. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul writes, he says, I urge you brothers to aspire to live quietly. To mind your own affairs 
and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders. Listen, the world is watching the church. People are listening and seeing what Christians are saying and posting. And Paul is like, listen, we need to live quietly. That doesn't mean we don't talk. It doesn't mean we, we don't have a voice. But it means, hey, we can't be saying things in such a way where people who don't know me, who don't know Christ, are looking at the church going, I don't need that. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he says, first of all, then I urge Again, he uses that word urge, that supplications and prayer and intercessions and thanksgivings. Notice those are all things we say. They're all words coming out of our mouth. He says, be made for all people, for kings and for all in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. You see, the things we say pleases God. It offends unbelievers, but it can also displease God. He's like, listen, make sure we're praying, praying for everybody, and we're living a quiet life. Again, it doesn't mean we, don't, we can't have a voice. It doesn't mean we don't talk. But, man, we've got to be wise with what we say, with what we post, because people are watching. People are identifying Christians in a certain way now. There are people looking at the, at the church going, and it is messed up. Again, our words direct our life. And people know who we are. People know there are unbelievers who are looking and they know, I don't need the church. I don't need to be a Christian because those guys are whacked. Here's a prayer that I think we all need to pray. And this comes from Psalm chapter 39 and Psalm 141. David writes this, and I think it's just a great prayer. He prays this, and this is a combination of a few verses. He prays, and he says, O Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Guard my ways so that I may not sin with my tongue. Guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. That needs to be our prayer. God, set a guard over my mouth. Keep me from sinning with this thing. And when evil people, when unbelievers are in my presence, they only hear what is beneficial. Let me not sin, God. And I believe this is a prayer that the church needs to be praying right now, that Christians everywhere would begin to say, God, forgive me. Set a guard on my, my mouth. Put a muzzle on my lips. Keep my lips from sinning, God, because the words that I say are revealing who I am. And they're saying everything about who you are. Loved ones, this has been a hard message to hear, but I pray that this message has changed your mind, convicted your heart, and will challenge your will. Amen? Let's all stand and let's pray. I would just encourage you just to close your eyes, bow your head. Don't be closing your Bibles. Don't be picking up your stuff. Let's not be planning at get out of here. This is a time that you need to maybe reflect on your heart right now. Reflect on the words that you've been saying. And if the Holy Spirit has been convicting you, I would pray that you would take that conviction seriously.
If he's been trying to challenge, change your mind on what you, how, how you speak and he's convicted your heart about your speaking, here's the next step. Apply what you've been hearing. Change and challenge the will. That tomorrow when you go to work, tomorrow when you see your friends, tomorrow when you're around people, that your mouth is speaking differently and that the words of your heart are pure. So, Father, I just pray that as we just close this time, I pray, Lord, even though it's been heavy, this has been hard, it's never easy to hear about talking, about our words, but, Lord, so necessary. Let us not be people who are showing spiritual inconsistencies. Let us not be spiritually double-tongued and praising you on, in here on Sunday, but speaking like the enemy the rest of the week. God, help us to put a guard over our mouth. Help us to guard our lips and what comes out of our mouth that we would not sin with our, our words and our tongue. And especially, Lord, in the presence of those who don't know you. And so, Father, I pray that this word has spoken to all of our hearts and will change us. I just thank you, Father, and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.